for those who were last week, we looked at a vision for who God is calling us to be, didn't we? The kind of people that God is calling us to be in this hour. And what was that? A people set apart from him, for him, wasn't it? A people that are holy. And this is not just something that he's speaking to us here at St. Albans. This is a word that he's speaking globally to his church in this season. To get ready for Christ is coming again soon. And we looked at that, didn't we? And we joined with the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation at the very end when Jesus said, the last thing Jesus says in the Bible is, I'm coming again soon. And Apostle John said, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And that should be our cry for this hour. Let us join with John and say, yes, Lord, come. And therefore, let us set our eyes on him so that everything else seems strangely dim. And you know, we find here an amazing picture that describes what God is about to do. This is a, a picture of a tidal wave and a surfer riding that wave. And let me say, and what God is saying around the globe prophetically, that this tidal wave that is coming is that we need to position ourselves for it. You see, just as a surfer can miss the wave, so we can miss it if we don't position ourselves for the tidal wave that is coming. And it is coming. It is coming. But I don't want us to miss it, do you? No. We want to position ourselves for him. And so we're going to be looking at five positions that God wants to speak to us about. And incidentally, if you've got kids in Ventureland, Marna and the team are going to be teaching these five positions as well, which is fantastic. You know, let me just say, I've been so encouraged by so many emails and words uh, from you guys. Keep sending the emails in. It's fantastic. And just so many words just saying, yes, we really believe that God is doing something. And, you know, we had a, a leaders meeting uh, on Tuesday night. We get together as a leadership team. Pray, worship, seek God, do some teaching. And we had a time of words and, and, and pictures, and, and I, I brought some with me here. I printed them out, and I just want to share a couple with you. One word was that they, they saw a, a gold light, and there was a sweetness, and it was honey. And then God said, taste and see that God is good, that I am good. And the word was that God wants us to heighten our sense and give us a new taste, satisfying and healing Sweeter than we've ever tasted. Yes, please, Jesus. And there was another word here for, for older people saying, I am making a way in the desert. I am doing something new. I am strengthening you. There'll be a new awakening. You are being empowered. And that's a word in season. This is not a young man's game. Alone. God is calling his whole body and in this season, if you are of more mature years, don't feel as if God doesn't require you. If anything, he needs you even more in this season. So press in, press in. Another word I want to share with you is so encouraging. For those of you who were with me last week, of course, I spoke about that tidal wave and how God is wanting us to surf, and I've talked about that already. Now that morning, Melissa Kearns, Melissa, are you here? Where is she? She's at... Oh, there you are. Hello. Um, who is a pastoral assistant, and you'll notice she's always my right, your left at the end of the service, organizing that team, and you do a fantastic job, Melissa, fantastic job. She was away last weekend at a Christian conference, and as I was preaching, God gave her a word in the worship, she was in worship at that time. Now, she did not know what I was preaching on, right? So she, like, she texted me Sunday afternoon this word and said, hey, Mark, I don't mind texting, a bit of a random picture, but here it is. Do you want to hear it? Yes, they said. 
Are you ready? I saw a wave, <laughs> a mighty tidal wave being held just offshore, outside the shallows. On top of the wave was Mark on a surfboard. Doesn't say whether we're wearing speedos or boxers or shorts, but anyway, we don't go there. I know, what have I done? And then the leaders were there on the staff team, sorry. And then the congregation were joining him on the wave. And there were others on the beach who were grabbing boards and curiously walking into the shallows to get closer and investigate. And in that moment, Mel said, she asked God, but why are you holding back the wave? And God replied, listen, because I want as many people as possible on the crest before I bring it in. Wow. Wow. I think my new favorite phrase of the moment is, you just can't make this stuff up, can you? God is speaking to his church. Are we going to listen? My heart for each one of us is indeed that we do not miss what he's about to do. Listen, let's get serious. We're in serious times. And we looked at the word that John Wimber gave 30 years ago at a conference he called, called Holiness, and felt the Lord prompting him 30 years ago that we need to get ready and get serious. And that was 30 years ago. The time is short. Now is the time. And so what we're going to look at this week is the first position, and it is humility of heart. Humility of heart. You know, it's been said, and as I said last week, humility is the foundation of all virtues. In fact, Francis Frangipani, or Frangipan calls it the substructure of transformation. Because in our desire to position ourselves for him, it all starts here. Humility. Without humility, let's just be clear on this, we can never be positioned for him. We can never walk in the fullness that God has for us because it's in that place of humility that he pours his grace into us. And it is his grace which enables us to walk in what he has for us. You know, Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, we are to clothe ourselves in humility. Indeed, in 1 Peter, Peter says the same thing. But here is the thing. The issue with humility is that we often don't truly understand what it is. I found this in my life. And even worse, what happens is we try and manufacture humility. We try and manufacture it. How? through good and pious words and works. We try and manufacture being humble by how we, we make ourselves think in a way and we do words and works that line up with what we think humility is. But in so doing, the irony is we fall into the trap of pride, false humility. Let me say this. If you believe that the measure of humility is through what you have said and done, then all of a sudden we rely on ourselves and not on him. Humility cannot be manufactured. And so what we're going to look at is what therefore is humility and how we indeed do walk in it and clothe ourselves in it. But you know, as I was preparing this word and I had envisaged it being a one-week thing, I felt the Lord say to me first, Mark, I want you to look at the opposite of humility first, which is pride. Why? I'll give you three reasons why I think God wants us to focus this week on pride. Firstly, because we need to understand how they are related. For while humility is the foundation of all virtues, it is also true that pride is the original sin from where all the others come from. Let us be clear, pride was never God's intention, was it? 
Pride is the condition that we find ourselves in, and it is that condition that Jesus came and died on the cross for us in true humility. And so, um, listen, I'm not talking about pride that, you know, is, is a sense of fulfillment of a job well done. It's good to take pride in your work. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. I'm talking about pride which boasts, is self-righteous. Pride which elevates ourselves above others and above God. And so we need to understand what pride is. Second of all, we are called to hate sin, are we not? Hate sin. And so I believe that the picture God is wanting to paint this morning of pride is going to make us hate it and recoil from it and want to run from it. His light is going to shine on it so we can realize the darkness of what it is. And thirdly, we are told that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, right? 1 Peter 5.8. And so, you know, my job as your pastor is to equip you and for us to be aware of what his ploys are, lest we fall into them. And so while uh, it might feel like heavy going at some parts of it, I'll try and interject some jokes there, here and there. Know that I do it in love, of course. <laughs> okay, so here's week one, are you ready? It's entitled Pride, the Original Sin. Pride, the Original Sin. And in order for us to understand this, we need to go to the beginning. And in so doing, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you ready? Fingers on buzzers. What was the first sin? Disobedience, yep. Who, who, who committed the first sin? Adam and Eve is a common answer, but the reality is it was not. For this sin, this first sin was done way before human history. You're thinking, oh, where's he going with this? It is in the Bible, do not, worry, do not fear. You see, in the Bible, the prophets of old, while they spoke of the future, they also revealed the past. So, I want us to go to Ezekiel together, the book of Ezekiel, one of the, as we call them, the major prophets. And Ezekiel is after the book of Lamentations. It's, it's a bit of a tricky book to find. Um, and Ezekiel here is, while he's talking about the physical king of Tyre, he is also talking about the power behind him, which is Satan, okay? So let's find this together, 28... Verse 11, it's going to be on the screen as well. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And remember, he's talking about Satan here. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite and emerald, topaz, onyx and jasper. Lapis lazuli, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. Indeed, the King James Version renders this verse. Your pipes and organs, so to speak, were made of gold. In other words, he was a worship leader. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you 
before kings. And we read another account by the prophet Isaiah, which is before Ezekiel in the book here. And Isaiah 14, chapter 14, verses 12 and 15, says this about Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So picture this with me, Lucifer, this magnificent angel of God, adorned with all beauty and all splendor and all wisdom that God had fashioned him into, with all the amazing gifts that God had given him and endowed him with wisdom. And as he led the angels in praise and adoration to the Most High, as the angelic hosts poured out their praise upon the feet of God, in that moment, he desired to be worshipped. In that moment, he desired to be like God. And we read in Revelation 12, chapter, verses 7 and 12, how God throws him out of heaven with a third of the angelic hosts that went in rebellion with Satan. And is it interesting in Isaiah, we see five I wills. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And what are these I wills? Pride, the original sin. And where pride motivated him, the action was rebellion unto God. You see, Lucifer sought to bring himself high, but God caused him to be low and banished him from heaven. Pride cometh before a fall. You know, in Matthew 23, verse 12, make a note, you can follow this up. It says that the high are lifted up are humbled and the humbled are lifted up. In other words, the way up is down. And that is a spiritual law that gets played out and we see this. We see this play out right here in this story. You know, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers said this, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. And so what happened next? Well, Satan is thrown down to earth and no sooner a traitor than a tempter. He goes on the prowl and finds Eve by the tree. And where pride and rebellion rose up in him, he sought to sow rebellion into God's creation. And we read that story in Genesis 3. We can turn together. Verses 1 to 6. 3, 1 to 6. Where is it? It's at the beginning, obviously. Uh, here we go. 
Good job, he knows his Bible. Phew. Here we go. Let's read this together. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And what I want to focus on this morning is unpacking this story and looking at four aspects of pride. Four aspects of pride that we can learn from this account of verses 1 to 6. Are you ready for the first one? This is it. Pride distorts God's truth. Pride distorts God's truth. What did, the, what did Satan say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Essentially, it begged the question, do you really need to take what God said as absolute truth? This is how subtle it is. And indeed, it says that this serpent was the craft, crafty, right? You see, the question doesn't deny that God, it doesn't deny that there is a God. It doesn't even deny that some of the things God says are true. It denies that the thing you're tempted with, did God really say? We see it in our world, don't we? What, what kind of the phrases we hear? Well, isn't truth what you make it? Heard that one? What about this one? I mean, after all, there is no absolute truth after all, is there? It's the lie of the age. Because, of course, we are way more enlightened than before. Look at the amazing advances we've made. Did God really say he would not have known about how smart we are? That is the implication, is it not? And you see, this is how subtle it is. The lie does not come with a big red flashing light saying, God doesn't exist, don't listen to him. It starts with an innocent question. Now, if Eve had not engaged with that question, she would have been fine. But she didn't, she listened. Let us not engage with the question, did God really say did God really say that sex outside marriage is bad? Really? That's such an old thing, isn't it? Did God really say that drunkenness is bad? I mean, he probably didn't think about the office party. It's only a one-off. Did God really say that in my tax return, this receipt can be slipped into that pile instead? I tell you, this has been a hard word for me this week because I've had to live this. You should have seen me driving. I like driving. And, you know, my car can accelerate and it can get to the speed. And then I'm like, oh, it says 50, but maybe 55. Mark, did God really say to obey the laws of the land? Yes. Listen, you know, we want the blessings of God. We need to walk in holiness. It, it, there's no accident that says in the Bible, this is a narrow way and the gate is narrow that finds life. I'll give you another one. Did God really say I should forgive everybody? Because God doesn't know what they did to me, the offense they've caused me. 
I just feel like this season we need to forgive each other. You see, pride says the other person should say sorry first. Humility says, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Let us be a people that walk in humility. And so where pride starts with, did God really say, humility starts with, God said. Thomas Aquinas, he's a theologian of the 13th century, and in fact he was also a a priest, said this, the root of pride is found to consist in man not being in some way subject to God and his rule. You see, holiness can only come in our lives when we submit to him. His rule and reign in our lives, in all of it. You know, I know in my life that I've called upon God when I've needed him for the big things, when I need power for him to save me, and yet in the smaller things, in fact, it's not even the smaller things, it's the things I want to control, if we're accurate about it, I say, well, did God really say? You know, a call to holiness is the most radical way. You know, what do we say here? Come as you are, but don't. This message has not changed for 30 years. If we truly want to become devoted followers of Jesus, if we want Jesus as our magnificent obsession and we sing it in our lips, if we truly want to position ourselves for this wave, then let us be a people that says together, God said, and yea, it is so. For there is blessing in positioning ourselves for him. Number two, pride distorts God's love for us. What did did the enemy say? He said, for God knows that it is good. The implication being that God was holding something back good from Adam and Eve. You see, the enemy painted a picture of a God that was holding back good things when the truth is the opposite was the right thing. God was holding them back from something that was disastrous for them. But no, the devil painted a picture of a God who wants to oppress Adam and Eve. And he does that with us. He does that with me. Paints a picture of a God that wants to oppress me with rules and regulations, somehow limiting my enjoyment. Painting a picture of some cruel dictator, some crazy despot God that's just out to make our lives a misery. That is a lie of the enemy. It was and is a total distortion of God's love for us. Those things, these things that God says don't do, he says because he loves us and he wants to protect us. You know, you only have to walk into feed and hear some of the stories of how drunkenness has ruined people's lives. You only have to see the impact that pornography is having on our society. It's rewiring people's brains and the sexual dysfunction that it is causing us. But somehow we think that because God says no, he's limiting our fun. And what about forgiveness? Research is now showing the personal impact that unforgiveness and bitterness is having on your physical health. Well, we would have known this if we read the owner's manual. It's in there. And we see it played out with the story of Adam and Eve. You see what happened when they ate the apple. Rather than experiencing something good which God was holding them back from, they experienced something altogether catastrophic which God was protecting them from. And that is the same today. That is the same. And so we submit to him. We say, but you're holding me back, Lord. Let me say pride, you see, gives sin false advantages. Pride gives sin false advantages, but it feels so good. Well, maybe in the moment. Maybe even for a while, but never in the long run. 
never in the long run. God loves us. And he has put boundaries in place because he wants us to live a life full of him and full of his blessings. This is not some crazy God that is trying to limit your enjoyment. He's some amazing God that's trying to give you an amazing world that you can enjoy in all its fullness. That is the kind of God that we serve. Number three, pride distorts our view of ourselves. What did did, uh, Satan say here? For God knows that when you eat from it, you will be like God. You see, it was the same desire that birthed in Lucifer. I will make myself like the Most High, he said. And that is the very thing that he tempts us with. And it's oh so subtle. He doesn't come up to you and say, you you should be like God. People should worship you. It doesn't work like that. I'll tell you how it works in my life. We look at the skills and strengths we have, that I have, which, by the way, God has endowed us with. We see the accomplishments, don't we, that we make with our very own hands that God has given us the strength for. We see the impact we make in the world around us, which God has positioned us for. And what happens is, rather than turn this to praise for God who created us in his image, in order that we can bring him glory in what we do, we allow the belief that we are to be exalted. And here's the thing, it isn't all out, it's subtle. I know it in my life, you know, I want, I want God to have the glory, but it seeps in. I get upset when... I feel people haven't given me the praise I think I'm owed. Did they not realize the sacrifice I made and yet they said thank you, they should have been way more appreciative. That was a blinding sermon. And they just said, good job. <laughs> Don't they know I was on my knees for days with that one? i tell you something, it's a challenge, pride. Especially for men and women that lead his people. Now listen, hear me right, I'm not saying we should encourage and affirm each other, of course we should. But here's the thing. What I'm talking about is the sense of entitlement to get praise from man. Do you see that distinction? And so if we're not careful, if we allow it to grow in us, we start becoming motivated by the praise of man rather than for the praise of God. Let me say that again. We we become motivated for the praise of man rather than the praise of God and what should be a, an offering of worship, what we do for him, becomes tainted in the process. That's why in this season, God is saying, you're going to do amazing things, guys, of course, but let get your heart straight because I want what you do to be a blessing to you and to reflect the glory that I poured in you. Okay, ready for the last one? You're still with me? Whew. Here we go, number four. Pride distorts our dependence on him. Pride distorts our dependence on him. You yourselves can know good versus evil. No longer do you need to seek God. It is the lie of independence. I've seen it in my life. I come to the false conclusion sometimes that I can be sufficient without him. And it's subtle. It's it's not that I don't deny that I need him. I, I, I wouldn't say that if you asked me. But what plays out is I only call out to him in the most dire of situations. And yet in the small things, I just don't seek his face. Well, I've got it covered, thank you. What does God say? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We should submit in all things to him. How many scriptures say seek him in all things? And you see what happens with this lie of independence. This is how it plays out in our lives. We stop praying. I don't need to pray. I'll only pray those emergency prayers. But actually prayer is about fellowship with him and we're missing out. Or we stop seeking, soaking in his presence because I can do it in my own strength. And we stop seeking counsel from godly men and women around us 
because I've got it figured out, thank you very much. And that is, starts with the root of pride, which is, I don't need God because in some respects, I am like God. Wow. We there? Want to re- recap? Four. Pride, one, pride distorts God's truth. Number two, pride distorts God's love for us. Three, pride distorts our view of ourselves. And four, pride distorts our independence. Our dependence, should I say, on him. And what happened in this story that we read? What was the cost of pride? Our fellowship with God was broken. Just as the devil was banished from heaven, so Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, from his very presence. That is how dangerous pride is. That is how dangerous pride is. Because while holiness is separation from the world unto God, pride is separation from God unto the world. When pride was birthed in Adam and Eve, Shame and guilt rushed in. And what did they do? They hid their face. God didn't stop seeking them. You notice that in the story. God came looking for them in his walk in the afternoon. But they were the ones that ran away from God in shame. And you see, while humility draws us to him, pride causes us to hide from him. That is how dangerous it is. While humility draws us to him, pride causes us to hide from him. It is always the case, and I've seen it in my life. And God is wanting to pour such wonderful stuff in each one of us. He wants to have fellowship with you, that sense of peace and joy and fulfillment of having relationship with him. I'd like to invite the band up. But let me just say this. Lest you feel overwhelmed, I've got good news. For when we read the story of the fall, of course, it doesn't end at that point, does it? No, what do we read? In verse 21, we read that God covered over their nakedness. He clothed them, didn't he, in a skin of an animal. A sacrifice that he provided. He provided for them because they were not able to do it themselves. While rebellion to God demanded death, God showed mercy. And that is a foreshadow of the mercy God would show the whole of mankind. And again, God would provide the sacrifice. But this time, his one and only begotten son, Jesus. But this time, a one-time sacrifice, which covered us completely. And rather than just covering over the nakedness, Jesus clothes us from within with his very life, a life of humility. And that is what we're going to look at next week. I'd like you to stand. Now I know that as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some of you areas in your life where you've been walking in pride. Maybe there's an area of sin in your life, habitual sin, and you have made the excuse, did God really say? And what you found is that sin has entrapped you. Well, this morning, God is going to make a way and free you from that as we say, sorry, Lord. 
Maybe for you it's not that. Maybe it's you, it's something else. Maybe you think God is some despot and you reluctantly hold back because you think God is restricting your enjoyment. That's a lie from the enemy. God has got even more from you than you could ever hope or imagine, as it says in Ephesians. Maybe you think yourself too much than you ought and you realize in you that there is something you're doing in your world and you're doing it for the motivation of praise of man. And God is saying, that for you is a burden. It is a burdensome thing to operate out of that place. And God is saying, I want to pour my blessing into you. Or maybe you just call upon God when you really need him. And God is wooing you to himself, saying, I'm here for everything. Even that small thing you don't think I care about, I absolutely do. And so what is our response right now? How do we make the first step? In humility, of course. Repentance. Saying sorry to God. And making a decision to turn away from pride in our lives. See, repentance is turning away from that thing and unto God. Repentance is a doorway to freedom and a life of holiness. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Let's engage with the Lord now and just... If you know this stuff you need to deal with, just say, Lord, I'm sorry for that sin. I'm sorry for that hard attitude. I'm sorry, Lord, for pride that's operating in my life. And I repent and I ask for your forgiveness. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And know that God is working in you because he loves you and has wonderful things planned for you. And he's wanting to increase the amount of grace that operates in your world. God says, I oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. It's a promise of more grace. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out your grace upon your people now. Upon your repentance, upon your repentance, Holy Spirit, would you pour your grace upon your people? Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, for he is worthy, worthy to be praised. And let us worship him together now. Thank you, Jesus.